off and the clock has started. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prezak. And as always, I'd like to thank you for tuning in and listening. I do appreciate it. And I also would like to send out uh, thanks to Ashley, who is this episode's announcer. Welcome to the show, Ashley. I also have two very special guests joining me in the studio, helping me out today. And I'd like to introduce Hudson and Nolan. Say hi, guys. Hey. Hi. They're going to be helping me out in just a bit. But first, I'd like you to put on your seatbelt because I'm going to back this car up about three episodes. And we're going to go back to episode number three, which was game show trivia. Now, you may recall, that's the one where I gave you a whole bunch of information and hopefully you wrote it all down so you can go on a TV game show and win like a million dollars and then you're going to give me some of it. But uh, sadly, nothing has shown up on my, my bank account yet. But that's okay. I know that there's still time. So we're going to go back and uh, talk about some trivia because a listener actually said, hey, you know what? I enjoyed that trivia. Um, I'd like to hear more. So being the accommodating guy I am, I have more. But then I got to thinking about it. How did all this trivia stuff start? I mean, who came up with the first question like, who was the first human to climb a tree? Or how many rocks are in the bottom of the ocean? So how did all this start? Well, you know how it goes. I did the research so you don't have to. Deep Dive Trivia. Oh, holy hell. I'm sorry about that. You know, I, I I saw this reverb channel on the mixer here. I thought, hey, I should use it. And a part of me said, no, Doug, don't do it. Well, I thought, I'll do it anyway. It should sound pretty cool. You know, that whole deep dive trivia. So I did it. And now I regret it. I really apologize. You will not hear that anymore. Because if there's one thing these podcasts are not, they're not cheesy. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the word trivia. Where does that come from? Well, it goes all the way back to the old Latin times, like 100 billion years ago. And there was a phrase called arte triviale. Now, if you speak Latin, I apologize. I'm sure I botched that beyond belief, but it's the best I can do. Arte triviale is referring to the trivium of the liberal arts. And the trivium of the liberal arts were grammar, rhetoric, and logic. Now, it also means trite, commonplace, unimportant, and slight. And Shakespeare tend to uh, reference that a lot. But now, again, that's way old, old times. Okay, let's talk about when trivia entered into modern times. We set our way back machine to 1902, and that's when a book was first published by British aphorist Logan Pearsall Smith titled Trivialities, Bits of Information of Little Consequence. Now, Smith followed up with a book uh, called More Trivia in 1921 and a collected edition which contained both books in 1933. So if you had books one and book two because they were so popular and you bought book three, you're probably pretty surprised that book three was just one and two combined together. Now, these books consisted of short essays that were often tied to observations of small things and kind of commonplace moments or as we know today, trivia. In his book, Trivia, Smith wrote, quote, I know too much. I've stuffed too many of the facts of history and science into my intellectuals. My eyes have grown dim over books, believing in geological periods, 
cave dwellers, Chinese dynasties, and the fixed stars has prematurely aged me, end quote. And I say, hey, Logan Pearsall Smith, I agree with you 100%. My intellectuals are stuffed to capacity and has caused me to age prematurely. That's my story and I am sticking to it. Now, in the 1960s, nostalgic college students and others began to informally trade questions and answers about popular culture of their youth. And the first known documented labeling of this casual parlor game as trivia was in the Columbia Day Spectator column published in 1965. The author, Ed Goodgold, then started the first organized, quote, trivia contest with the help of his friend Dan Karlinski. Remember those names. I'm just kidding. You don't have to. Ed and Dan wrote the book Trivia, which achieved ranking on the New York Times bestseller list. And the book was an extension of the Paris Columbia contest and was followed by other good gold and Clark Car. <laughs> I knew I was not going to get through that. It was followed by other good gold and Karlinski trivia titles. In their second book, More Trivial Trivia, the authors criticized practitioners who were, quote, indiscriminate enough to confuse the flower of trivia with the weed of minutia. Trivia, they wrote, is concerned with the tugging at heartstrings, while minutia deals with such unevocative questions as, which state is the largest consumer of jello? Now, I'd like to add, hey, good Golden Karlinski, get off your high horse. Trivia is trivia. And also, the state? Yeah, it's Utah. But over the years now, the word trivia has come to refer to, you know, obscure or arcane bits of knowledge and also some sort of nostalgic pop culture remembrances and the fodder for podcasts like this one. Okie dokie, if you guys are ready. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's get going. Nolan, you are up first. What do you have for us? Kool-Aid was originally marketed as Fruit Smack. Yeah, that jingle would have been horrible. Fruit smack, fruit smack, tastes great. It's much better with the Kool-Aid guy. Let's keep it going. Hudson, you're up. The sum of all the numbers on a roulette wheel is 666. Poor little guy. He was up all night counting numbers on a roulette wheel. Man, the things we do for entertainment. During a 2004 episode of Sesame Street, the Cookie Monster said that before he started eating cookies, his name was Sid. What kind of shtick would that be? I mean, that's his whole thing, hollering cookie, cookie. What's he going to do, sit there and, and just yell, Sid? Sid. 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 The only number whose letters are in alphabetical order is 40. F-O-R-T-Y. You sure? Yep. How are you sure? Because we researched it. <laughs> Okay, that's been some great information so far, but I think it may be time for some uh, very special trivia. What do you guys think? Yep. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, what? Deep dive trivia. That's right. While many believe Hydrox cookies are an Oreo knockoff, and I was one of those, Hydrox actually came first in 1908, which was four years before the Oreo. You have to feel sorry for Hydrox. First out, and then was always second fiddle. The problem, it seems, was in the name. In 1882, an entrepreneur named Jacob Luce, he bought a biscuit and candy company that would eventually be known as Sunshine Biscuits. 
1908, he launched the biscuit sandwich known as Hydrox. The name, they thought, would be reminiscent of the sunlight that glimmered through the factories in addition to speaking to a basic purity of product. They really should have done a little bit more product research in the naming because it was intended to imply hydrogen and oxygen, you know, the two chemicals that make up water, but the result was way too clinical and instead it evoked hydrogen peroxide. Uh, It's definitely a chemical you would not want to eat or drink. And it didn't help that there was an existing Hydrox chemical company on the market, one that sold hydrogen peroxide. Well, that's a big uh uh-oh. Well, a long story short, it was a really weird name for a cookie, but the design was interesting enough for people. It was uh, in the shape of a flower. And for a minute, it looked like uh, Sunshine Biscuits had a winner in their hands. And then four years later, out came the Oreo. The Oreo company described their cookie as, quote, two beautifully embossed chocolate flavored wafers with a rich cream filling. And the rest is history. Keebler took ownership of Sunshine Food Brands in the late 90s and realized right away that Hydrox was a problem, and they quickly attempted to rename the cookies Droxies. They wanted to make a sort of a softened-up name to discourage people from thinking about chemicals. But that particular shift wasn't quite enough, and in 2001, Kellogg's bought the Keebler brand and put Hydrox under yet another corporate owner, and by 2003, it killed off the cookie. Now, there was a very slight reprieve in 2008 when huge fans, I guess all three of them, of the Hydrox cookie complained. So it was briefly released, and then Kellogg's decided to put Hydrox in the great cookie jar in the sky. But wait, just when you thought it was over, a gentleman named Elia Kassoff had learned how to gain access to trademarks that were sitting unused, like Hydrox from Kellogg's. He also gained uh, the brand name Leaf Brands from a dormant company, and now he is reviving the cookie Hydrox for his own company. I guess you'll be able to find it in the grocery store, but it's probably going to be on the bottom shelf below all the thousands of Oreo brands. And with that, I think it's time for a break because all this talk about cookies has made me want to go find one in the cabinet. So I will be right back after you listen to this. just do not make commercial jingles like that anymore, do they? <laughs> that one was awesome. <laughs> oh, man, brought back some memories. All right, I think it's time for some rapid-fire trivia. I'm going to bring the boys back and let them uh, get to it. Nolan and Hudson, you're up. If you get bit by a mosquito, then you will know it's a female because only female mosquitoes will bite you. Alaska is the only state that can be typed on one row of keys. According to the National Retail Federation, 
Americans spend $310 million on pet costumes last Halloween. A sequel called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian was written but never produced. The same person who sang You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch was also the voice of Tony the Tiger, and his name was Thurl Ravenscroft. The string on boxes of animal crackers was originally placed there so the container could be hung from a Christmas tree. Silver Bells was called Tinkle Bells until co-composer Jay Livingston's wife told him Tinkle had another meaning. That thing you use to dot your lowercase i is called a tittle. That was fantastic. This applause is for you. Great job on all that trivia. I appreciate it. And now, I think it's time for... Deep Dive Trivia. That just sounds so boring. Don't get all judgy, but let's try the other one again. Deep Dive Trivia. Nope, still cheesy. Here's your trivia. Failed Pez flavors include coffee, eucalyptus, menthol, and flour. And here's your deep dive. The word Pez comes from the German word for peppermint or Pfeffermannsee. Now, in case you can't tell, I did not take German in high school. It's Pfeffermannsee. We're just going to go with that. Pez was first marketed as a compressed peppermint sweet in Vienna, Austria in 1927 by Edward Haas III. The original product was a round peppermint lozenge called Pez Drops. Over time, the new manufacturing process evolved and the hard-pressed brick shape we know and love today was created. The product packaging evolved from wrapped rolls to a small tin to hold the mints similar to the Altoid tins of today. The first Pez mint dispensers were known as regulars, and they were similar in shape to a cigarette lighter and dispensed an adult breath mint marked as an alternative to tobacco. In 1952, Haas introduced his product to the United States, and in 1955, the Pez company placed heads on the dispensers and marketed them for children. Santa Claus and Mickey Mouse were among the first character dispensers. Since 1950, over 1,500 Pez dispensers, including the original character dispensers, have been created. This may be a good time to go check that junk drawer or maybe a box you have stored in the attic because the Pez dispensers, especially the older ones, can range in price from three to $500 or more. And the most expensive Pez dispensers are three political donkeys that were each valued at over $13,000, one of which was owned by JFK. So there you go, Pfeffermanzi. Just not available in eucalyptus, menthol, coffee, or flour. And we still have time for some more trivia from uh, Nolan and Hudson. Take it away, guys. In the early stage version of The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy's faithful companion, Toto, was replaced by a cow named Imogene. Former President Herbert Hoover was Stanford's football team manager. At the first Stanford Cal game in 1892, he forgot to bring the ball. Hawaiian Punch was originally developed in 1934 as a tropical-flavored ice cream topping. At the 2010 Grammy Awards, Taylor Swift won more Grammys, four, than Elvis did his entire career, three. Another successful run of trivia. Thanks, guys. 
And now it's my turn to take a shot at some rapid-fire trivia. I probably won't do as good as you did, but here goes. Oscar the Grouch used to be orange. Jim Henson decided to make him green before the second season of Sesame Street. How did Oscar explain the color change? He said he went on a vacation to the very damp, swamp, mushy, muddy, and turned green overnight. At Fat Burger, you can order a hypocrite. That's a veggie burger topped with crispy strips of bacon. QR codes have been popping up in cemeteries. When you scan the code on a gravestone with your phone, you can read an obituary and see a picture of the deceased. The duffel bag gets its name from the town of Duffel, Belgium, and that's where the cloth used the bags was originally sold. When Coca-Cola announced the return of Coke's original formula back in 1985, ABC News interrupted General Hospital to break the story. Editor Bennett Cerf challenged Dr. Seuss to write a book using no more than 50 different words. The result? Green eggs and ham. You probably don't believe me, so go get the book and count them up for yourself. And if I'm wrong, you never heard this podcast. And my last rapid-fire trivia is kind of cringeworthy. I don't know how many of you were around in 1975, but back then, Mattel sold a doll called Growing Up Skipper. I'm not going to say anything else about this, but if you're interested, all you have to do is Google Growing Up Skipper, and you'll see uh, what I'm talking about and why this would never fly in 2020. And wrapping it up, our last deep dive trivia. Honey is essentially bee vomit. <laughs> okay, now that you've either swerved off the road or spilled your coffee, here's what happens. When a bee takes nectar from a flower, the tiny creature stores it in its crop, which is an enlargement at the back of its esophagus. Now, while it's there, the nectar mixes with enzymes. According to UC Davis retired apiculturist Eric Musson, a nectar foraging bee returns to the hive and pumps out the nectar to a receiving bee. After being mixed with the enzymes, the nectar is passed to processing bees that blend the incoming nectar loads. They mix them together and then pump out a bit of the solution. After some time, the liquid in the solution evaporates. It's once again taken to the bee's crop for further mixed before it's finally deposited into the comb where it will become the honey you know and love or at least you used to love. And on that appetizing note, I think we will wrap up uh, this episode. I would like to thank my very special guest, Nolan and Hudson, for helping me out today. You guys did a great job, and I really do appreciate it. And now, as always, we must ask ourselves, what did we learn today? Well, we learned that Herbert Hoover forgets footballs. I don't know how he was as president, but he's not a very good team manager. If you get bit by a mosquito, you know it was a female. And I don't know what to say about honey. I personally don't eat it. And now I have another fantastic reason not to eat honey. And lastly, all I'm going to say is Mattel should be ashamed of themselves. Google it. You'll see. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. It is very much appreciated. I'd like to say uh, hello to the listeners in Great Britain, Italy, and New Zealand. Yes, we're international now. I love it. Thanks for listening to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Say bye, guys. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, 
all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at that 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com, and uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take take a look at those two things if you like, and stay informed. And all, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.